Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Welcome to the Insider's Sales and Marketing Podcast. I'm Simon Hazeldean. I'm a sales transformation strategist and sales performance consultant, helping my clients get more sales more often with more margin. I'm also a keynote speaker and author of several books on sales and negotiation, and I'm your host for the podcast, along with my co-host, the one and only Richard Lane, who is the co-founder of Durham Lane, who are an inside sales partner that helps businesses grow their revenue through an integrated sales and marketing methodology. So, Richard, great to be back in the studio with you again and with our guest for this episode. So I'm going to hand over to you to introduce them. Excellent. Thank you, Simon, and wonderful to be back. Really pleased to introduce Peter Schopf today. Peter is the head of EMEA Sales for Siemens Mindsphere. Really looking forward to our conversation. It's going to be full of huge value for our listeners. And Peter, welcome again. And I'll hand you back to Simon to get us started. Wonderful. Thank you, Richard. So, Peter, what we what we normally do with guests is ask them to just introduce themselves by way of giving us a little bit of background and how you came to be in the role that you're in currently so our listeners can kind of uh, get to know you a little bit before we go into some of the other questions. So uh, over to you. Give us a, a little bit about your, your background, please. Yeah, sure. And first of all, also thanks a lot, Simon and Richard, for inviting me to your podcast. Um, I do admit I wasn't aware really of Durham Lane upfront, but you have some very nice content on <laughs> the internet, which I now put into my favorites and I'll look ah, past you. that once in a while. Uh, but to your question in, in terms of uh, my background, so I'm with Siemens actually for 14 years and I joined Siemens with the Siemens Graduate Program. It's kind of a high profile uh, graduate program, also recognized globally. And back then, that was my one and only application um, to Siemens because I was uh, very much in favor of that company. Still a big fan. Uh, basically, back then they had these mega trends, which they put in into the core of their offerings and their visions, and and that really caught me uh, in that case. Since then, I did various different environments and industries like metals technologies, smart grid, rail electrification. I'm currently now with digital industry software. And what might be interesting, I actually started off as business administration colleague and was quite good in that or had a successful career, but I was kind of missing the impact I can have in my role. And so what I did, I switched sides basically from business administration to strategy and business development. Now, finally ending up at sales, yeah, where if you do the job right, you have a very big impact in any case. Yeah, so that's basically where I come from and where I ended up now. Great. And back and ended up in sales, which obviously has to be one of the best places to be, but I might be a little bit biased <laughs> there. I'm also really <laughs> jealous that you only applied for Siemens on the graduate program. I used to lead a high potential graduate program for, uh, you know, when I had a when I had a proper job and I knew they all applied for about five or six different graduate programs. So it was uh, always super competitive to get them on board. So I think Siemens Siemens had it kind of lucky there. So at Siemens Mindsphere, be really interested. How do you structure and look at your markets, Peter. I know people, there are various ways and approaches people have. Be really interested to get your insights and your approach. 
And and there are several dimensions that you need to consider. Obviously, as as I'm running the EMEA market, we look at our different countries and there are big differences between the countries. Are there stronger countries leading digitalization? Some countries are more careful, being a little bit slow to adopt. And this has an impact also on how we set up our sales structure. I'm having strong, dedicated local teams when there's a company driving digitalization having a more reactive approach uh, when this is not the case. And UK, for example, is uh, doing quite well. We are very much engaged, for example, in the water business in, in terms of, I mean, MindSphere is an IoT platform, yeah, Internet of Things. So we connect data. That That's what it's all about, basically, data connection and algorithms and analysis is on top of that. And we also work together with some of the excellence clusters we have in the UK in terms of um, well, future-proofed visions, the closed-loop digital twin, for example. Yeah, we feedback data from the machines that you have in the field to your simulation models and things like that. So that's that's really going quite well as one of the examples. But there are different ways to, yeah, and, and structures how you look at markets, of course. It's the industries, uh, for example, bigger markets, we segment according to industries. They might be stronger or weaker. So, for example, heavy machinery, automotive, also kind of emerging industry like battery manufacturing and things like that. So uh, we cover all of those. And uh, what is also interesting is to look at companies and their size on the one hand side, but also their technological maturity and to see which ones do we address first and how do we address them kind of with high touch or low touch, tech touch, uh, which would be just uh, looking at IT tools uh, to manage. Uh, so all of those things uh, and and more like use cases and else play a role in in some of the decisions we take. It's fantastic because it's always it's always a tough question, isn't it? Right, where do we go first? And uh, I think with things like digitalization, it's interesting. To, you know, you're talking about people who are earlier adopters maybe or, or faster movers and then you got the you got the slower ones who are probably going to be on be on a bit of a journey that's going to require i guess a different uh, a different sales focus which is which is great and on on the subject of digitalization you know obviously you're a leader in this and with with the comments about the early adopters maybe my words not your words and and maybe people are not so how do you convince your customers to come on that journey with you and and what challenges do you find you face in doing that yeah, and and you put it exactly the right way it's a journey and that's i think the things we are struggling with also and and everybody else in the industry is, is this understanding of why you should take this journey uh, and this approach needs to be clear to the decision makers within companies within the customers and that's very often not the case so what, what very often happens is that Companies start something off, try something out, but uh, for example, they think, okay, when, when I have not the return on investment with my first use case, I stop because obviously it failed. And that understanding that, hey, it's a digitalization journey, it's about transforming your business, about being future-proof, it will take years to get it really done. Um, that, that is a very important first learning and insight. And I think that's that's something we, we need to constantly work on to provide these insights to our customers to understand how can you address that? Why should you do it? I, I, I really like this golden circle of Simon Sinek where you start with a why in your message and then you continue with a how and what. And that that is, I think, key. 
So I actually also have a little podcast on LinkedIn calling the brutal truth of IoT. Yeah, so it's uh, this brutal <laughs> truth to have that understanding, uh, and that's that's something I'm, I'm I'm working on, and I love to discuss yeah with with customers. I love the, uh, the the brutal truth. So check that out, folks. Follow follow Peter on LinkedIn and uh, and have a and have a look at that. And, and Richard, you you must have a similar kind of context at Durham Lane. You know, you might have to convince clients to consider using an inside sales partner for the for the first time. So how do you, how do you address that as an organisation? Yeah, it was really interesting listening to Peter there talking about it's a journey. It takes time we have exactly the same conversation. So um, there's no point ramping up a uh, an outsource sales program, for example, and then stopping after two months. You, know, you need to give it time because an outbound cadence of, of sales activity typically takes longer than when people are finding you. Uh, it takes longer to create the opportunity. It takes longer then to nurture and develop that opportunity and convert. So we we very transparently, Simon, go out and, and recommend at least 12-month termed agreements. Now, we can do less than that as a proof of concept, but you know, anything less than six months, it's pretty hard to to really assess something correctly, I think. So yeah, I like the journey analogy. We use it often and um and sales takes time. Yeah. And you know that's the reality of it. I think that is it's an interesting one in trying to convince clients of ROIs with a longer time perspective. And I think that is a challenging thing for for sales professionals to to be able to do. Because, you know, certainly if uh, if you get any sort of economic contraction like we've had historically, ROI timelines come <clears throat> come shooting down, don't they? And, uh, you know, the CFO wants a return pretty quickly. It, it was also just thinking back to when we were talking about Peter's European focus and you know, we do a lot of work around value proposition and messaging. And so, you know, make sure you understand what types of companies you're looking to become your customers and what types of individuals within those companies you want to be your customers. And then there's an extra layer, which is, and it depends which country they're in, which will depend in, you know, how evolved they are. So um, you have to do that work up front in order to give yourself the best chance of success, I think. No, thank you. Great, great to see the two perspectives. And Peter, when we were having our sort of pre-interview, uh, <clears throat> so we obviously chat with you in advance of coming on for the recording, and you told us that you're you're passionate about the use of video selling, and and I think that will be a really interesting topic for our listeners. I think it's a it's definitely a hot topic. Could you tell us how you're you're using this and why you are such an advocate of it? Yeah. So first of all, I mean, I I love experimenting with different ways of selling and, and different ways of doing things because especially in this in this environment as we discussed before there are very different dimensions that needs to be considered and the success like the nobody yet found kind of the holy grail of success yeah, how it works and the perfect way of moving things forward so that means you need to approach it in, in different ways and especially with Siemens we have a huge sales force however the sales force is used selling hardware for the most part and licensed software for the other part. So suddenly coming around uh, trying to sell SaaS has um, many different implications. Yeah, it's, it's from the technology point of view, it's quite complicated, but also from an um, yeah, incentive point of view, because suddenly they have been incentivized on big ticket deals, and now SaaS is more land and expand approach. So considering that, we need to make it very, very easy for overall Siemens sales team to be successful in selling cloud software and, and these new technologies. 
So what I really liked is that we have set up some short video snippets, five to seven minutes about different solutions, very tangible, addressing a specific problem of end customers to say, hey, here, if you want to have remote condition monitoring of your machines, that's the solution. Look at it in five minutes. Does it address your problem? Yes or no. And Or energy management, for example. Yeah, do you need energy monitoring? Yes or no. Look at it five minutes. Does it ring a bell or does it not? Yeah, and so what you save with, with that approach is that everybody that you need to enable your your sales force on a broad scale with hours and hours of hey that is cloud this is what it can do for you oh no there is an update we need to retrain or refocus and and they struggle with that because of the complexity nowadays i mean they are very good in already complex topics and these complexities add up on top of them so what what we do for example therefore is um, to use these videos also use linkedin and also these uh, iot videos yeah, which actually even there were not so many likes many people now addressed me personally when i meet them and said hey i watched your video and that, and that's kind of uh, expanding that reach uh, making it easily scalable what what you provide it's definitely not bringing you to the final closing yeah there are other steps in between but it can be a very good initial stage of of addressing things making people aware i was hoping also but i do admit that didn't work out fully yet that then people within an account will pass it on the videos to other areas of the account because to crack an account you talk to one person often or a team a group but to really understand, okay, who has that problem? I mean, it can be everywhere in a huge account. So ideally, it would be to encourage your contact, your champions at the account to forward these videos. And this has happened to some extent, but I mean, we are still also trying out these these things uh, and improving step by step. But I mean, I think it's, it's a great reflection that, you know, sometimes people will talk about their champion as, as being their salesperson inside the client. And of course, you've got to empower your champion, haven't you, to be able to sell effectively on your behalf. And I think short, sharp, five to seven minute videos that really hit the mark does the job for the champion. You know, hey, have a, have a look at this from Siemens Mindsphere. I think this might be something we ought to discuss further or, you know, and share around the organization. So I think that's a, and you're making it very easy for them to do that. So um Exactly. Yeah, so I'm sure it'll start to happen. And I think, you know, like with social selling and things on LinkedIn, people get sometimes over-obsessed, like how many views has my video had or how many views? I, yes, numbers matter, right? But it's the people looking. And if, you, if you're getting the right people, yeah. that, that I think is more important than, I don't know, something viral is normally funny, right? Or something like that, you know, or, or, or emotional. We have a good example, Simon, of, of video use internally at Durham Lane. So both for both for um, our new business development work for our new business team, but also for our customers. So we're using video much more now to garner interest and to turn interest into a conversation. Um, but we're also, from a new business point of view, using it in in multiple ways across the sales process. So a recent example, we. Uh, we submitted a recommendation paper into a potential client. Our, our sales guy then recorded uh, a vidyard and, and, and sort of just took the prospect through some of the key steps of the proposal and sent that off. And it got lots and lots of views internally. So 
you know, we then also want to do that live, but actually you can't get everyone live. So it's synchronous and asynchronous and you're able to make sure that message stays true. And I, th- I think one of the things for our listeners to think about is, and I've always reflected on this, is that we spend really very little time with our prospects when they're dis- making a decision around who to use. So the more the more we can guide them and support them and and provide them with with materials or, or tools or or information that supports our business case, then the better because we spend little time with them really. Yeah, there was some there was some research done a few years ago about the amount of time a buyer actually spends in conversation with a salesperson, and it is a it's in a minuscule percentage of their time, and probably that was pre COVID, so it might even be even be more more different now. But I think, and again, Richard, I'm, I'm I think you know what Peter's saying is nobody's found the holy grail, so if you're not using videos, why not try them, right? Because you know, you got to you got to experiment to try these try these different things. So they seem to be they seem to be working for you know Siemens Mindsphere. So uh, probably a good a good one to go and have a look at some of those and see how those are structured. I think it will be a good good example. And and Peter, in our previous conversation, you said you're an advocate of copy and paste, and I know you didn't mean that in terms of a word document or email, uh, but more more as a more of as a concept. So what do you mean by copy and paste, and how do you, it's two parts question and secondly how do you encourage that as a leader so it, it comes back to experimenting and trying things out uh, this this leads to different approaches and obviously you need to then identify those which work which work quite well and then try to structure that capture that in a way that it can then be multiplied and scaled and um, that that is basically the the principal idea of the whole thing and as we do have for example with iot you do have different use cases in all kinds of areas so what we try to identify is what use case works best, uh, what approach did we do in that context, what message rung the bell basically of really getting that use case engaged and implemented. And all of this we try to capture and then multiply that throughout the team. And this is um, an ongoing process with different stages as a, as a leader. I obviously talk about those things and uh, try to we have tried to establish a process in terms of, okay, if somebody won a deal, we we analyze that deal, we structure it, capture what's the essence of the sales success, basically, and also the customer value and his success. And how can we then, in an easy way, structure it, first with with simple slides, kind of a two-pager, explaining that, share it with the overall organization. So it comes back to knowledge management. And I think really knowledge management, we can do always much better than we in principle do in in, in companies so that's one of my uh, also big topics where i'm very interested in and engaged in well there's often lots of really really great knowledge and ideas out there and practices out there you just got to find them and then um you know find a way of sharing them so i think that's why i was really interested in your your copy copy paste i'm, I'm also a a staunch advocate of win-loss reviews being done and it's it's often that learning is lost in organizations you know so you've won why have we won yeah and and it seems to be cultural whether an organization puts more focus on the wins or the losses whereas <laughs> you can learn you can learn from both although the loss reviews are often less pleasant uh, but they can be they can be super super kind of helpful from from that and in terms of, and this is this is a, a, I think a really important topic, 
uh, my next question and one that a lot of organizations don't do particularly well, which is the approach you use when you're making decisions about which customer projects to pursue and which customer projects to walk away from. So it might you know, often refer to a sort of opportunity qualification, I suppose, or customer customer qualification. Um, a lot of a lot of salespeople positively pursue everything with equal vigor and then end up end up getting <laughs> awfully awfully busy. Um, but but what what approach do you use when you decide whether to 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 follow on with a project or to take that tough decision to walk away? Yeah, and it's a difficult one because I'm a principal optimist. Yeah, so uh, I always yeah. think, okay, we can still have a chance. So uh, obviously that that's probably one of the sales traits you you, you need to have. Uh, yeah. But in some cases, you need to make these hard decisions and walk away. And we had several of those, especially when you look at the IoT environment. It's a very dynamic one. Companies are struggling finding their way through because it's um, yeah not been done before yeah, in many cases. So there's no not much knowledge around how do I structure a tender. And, and therefore, we pretty early can see, okay, this company might have been influenced by a competitor or or else uh, to look, for example, only on connectivity. Uh, that's obviously an important part, but it's only a part of the whole big vision of yeah. digitalization and what you can do. So if the tender or RFI, RFQ, whatever it is, is then very structured and pointing to one direction, we try obviously to engage the customer and try to convince him of the complexity that he needs to see, but also to avoid certain complexities that are not necessary at the beginning. And if we achieve some communication with the customer where, where we see, okay, he, he's listening, he's understanding, he's trying to find the way and, and we can still guide him together and as partners, then obviously we stick to it. But if, if there's really a clear process and we see, okay, that's not going into our directions, we cut the losses and, and move on. Uh, so that's... Um, Always a case-by-case decision for sure, but it in principle yeah. comes down to does it fit to our portfolio and the understanding we have of how you approach digitalization or do they have a completely different understanding? Yeah, if I'm, if I'm ever talking on this topic with clients and I ask account managers or key account managers, what's it like filling out an RFI or RFQ or a tender document, which has clearly been heavily influenced by your competitor? The face is... Oh, everybody just shakes their heads and just goes, "Been there, been there." Yeah, don't yeah. want to, don't want to, kind of, kind of do. It. Uh, Richard, are you, are you perspective from Durham Lane on this? Yeah, totally changed our world actually. So we've built over the last couple of years. I say we, the Royal We, the Royal We has built a um, uh, what we call a validation toolkit. So we're now much more selective around the projects that we bid for. Much more selective around the work that we're willing to take on and from what type of customer. And that's had a profound effect on both the clients we win, the projects that we retain and the projects that we grow. So that's one angle in that, you know, spend your time where you can be most successful uh, is one of our our sayings. Um, the other thing, I, I love the psychology of sales. And, and I, I was saying this to one of my colleagues the other day. We had, a, we had an RFP. We made a strategic decision that we were going to go for the RFP because we didn't have any background. We didn't have any knowledge. We therefore decided we weren't going to win it, but it was important for us to to have a go and to get maybe in front of that procurement team and, and that business. 
the irony is, or the, the psychology is that the more time you spend on something, the more you feel like you deserve to win it, don't you? It's that, that sort of thing. Yeah. And, um, yeah. so we had to just keep telling ourselves as we were going through this process, and it took a lot of time to complete that actually we, we don't deserve this. We don't, you know, it's not been written for us. And, and the sting in the tail of this one is that we've been told we've won it. So, <laughs> so, it's, yeah. uh, so but, but actually normally, you know, and, and I always think there are the anomalies to the rule in life and particularly with sales, which is why we do, Peter, I think I agree with you. We do tend to be of the, the glass half full nature or the, the positive, positive side of life. So what I don't want someone saying to me is, but we went for that one and we won it. You know, that doesn't mean that that's the way it normally works. You have to try and take the emotion out of it and, and, you know, spend your time with customers that you can serve well, that you can grow with, that you know, you're, you're proud to represent. And we definitely don't want to take away the kind of optimism that Peter's talking about. I mean, I, I do <laughs> think that that more positive optimism does seem to be part of the the character or DNA of a, of a, of a salesperson, Absolutely. right? So we, we don't, we definitely don't want the pendulum to swing too far over to pessimism on the other, on the other side, but it's just that, you know, what are you, what are you busy with is always the thing, you know, how likely are you to win it? And if you are going to go for something, it's like, you know, we're saying, Richard, you're making a strategic decision to get some time in front of a client for maybe for longer term development. And that, you know, that can be a decision, but yeah. don't, don't don't fool yourself if that's what you're not doing. Yeah, and there's there's a, a time versus reward equation there, isn't there? So we yeah. you know, we can say we don't think we're gonna win this because of X, Y, and Z. It's gonna take us X number of hours to complete. That investment of time we believe is gonna be worth it because we're going to get the following outcome or output. And so that's fine. That's okay, isn't it, if you can work that through. Yeah. Uh, Peter, you mentioned earlier the sort of the importance of of bringing insight to your customers, and and you mentioned to us when we were talking before we came on air that you you make use of the challenger sales approach. Um, could you give us some examples of how you use that approach at, at Siemens Mindsphere? Because I think it's 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 often um, it was hugely popular and still is, but I think it was often seems to have been a little misunderstood by people. So it'd be just great to get your perspective. Sure. Yeah, I mean, especially in such a context of new technology, innovation, challenging the status quo and the beliefs of people, I think it's, it's key. And what I like very much on the challenges here is also this, this storyline they build up. I mean, if you mind, uh, I can give you one example a little bit more in detail and run yeah, you please. through these processes. Yeah. Emotion is, is a very important part of that. Yeah? So if you think about it, kind of the emotional impact on, on things, then for example, what the challenge sale gives you is, is these stages. And the first stage would be a warmer, that people kind of warm up to your idea. And for example, if you say, hey, sales can actually drive digitalization, because if sales understands what their end customer are needing uh, in terms of new solutions and also different solutions, uh, not, not only selling the equipment, but selling equipment as a service suddenly or even output as a service so completely new business models new approach where you can have a better relation and longer lasting relation to your customers isn't that great and and in tendency people say yes that's great i, I feel warm and comfortable and they might even think okay i did that already i started that discussion with my it team but then the second stage comes and that's the reframe where you challenge the beliefs and status quo of people and you then, for example, in that case, you say, but many businesses take the 
wrong decision to then let the IT department decide on what how to move forward. And the IT department, in general, they, they believe they can do that yeah, because maybe they have already have a smart home and things like that. But in principle, also IT departments strongly underestimate the complexity of an IT platform. So they might even think of, okay, I have more budgets, I have more men and resources, but they, they are challenged very often on that. So that's the second stage, basically, this new understanding. Oh, wow, maybe the IT guy who should know about IT is not the right person to talk to. And then you follow that up with rational drowning, the third stage, where you come up with a lot of examples. Yeah, that It's about the data model you need to set, it's about the governance of the access of data. It's uh, these updates that you continuously need to run when when maintaining a platform, monitoring components, the security, the security the certificates that you need to fulfill and else. And, and so this, this rational drowning is many, many impacts. They make you believe and understand, okay, wow, it is complex. And my IT department is probably over his head when, when they try to tackle that, or they spend everything on the platform instead of really on the end customer value. And then you come to the third stage, and that's, I mean, from an emotional journey, that, that's kind of the worst situation because you then talk about real-life examples of, for example, in this case, yeah, where, where the sales teams, they wanted these new solutions for their end customers. They needed it because of market pressure and competitors doing this. And their IT team took three years and they didn't get a solution out there because it was just too complex, this international management of data and then putting applications on top, defining the data model and else. And this this you can, I mean, if the more specific you make the example of the sales leader who, who was desperate and losing market share, the more is the emotional impact. And I think that that is also very important, not to manipulate people, but to, for them to understand the message and the implications also for themselves. And then if you come then after that, emotional impact stage to the next stage and you say well but there's a new way and the new way by the way that's there's players out there in the market that have an integrated platform but you don't need to build the platform you can concentrate on the solutions that bring value add to your customers you can concentrate on that part then the emotions go back up they say okay well maybe i'm not stuck with my it department that might take the wrong decisions i can really um, have a different path forward and then at the very end and I think that's important. At the very end, in the seventh stage, you talk about your own solution, MindSphere in my case, yeah, so, and then how, how we can help the customer to, to get things done. And For example, in this case, also after three months, we had uh, the, the machines connected and first solutions with the customers. So that's, that's something that really is, from my point of view, a very strong way of tailoring messages and you can do that on different levels. You can do that over the overall sales cycle, but also in this very short storytelling. And, and on different levels, uh, you can have these, these kind of emotional journeys. And I think that's, that's a strong point of the challenger sale. Wow. What a very eloquent illustration of the challenger sale process, Peter. That was, that was, uh, I think, a masterclass in in the process and the and the and the stages. So thank you, thank you very much for that. Really, really appreciate it. Richard, comments from you with regards to uh, the challenger approach or the comments Peter's made? Yeah, love love that. We can probably snippet that as its own little thing and uh, have a, a challenger sale example. Uh, just maybe just very quickly, our, our, we have our own 
sales methodology at Durham Lane called selling at a higher level. Um, it came it came out really of of my my corporate experience in sales. And when I set up my own business, I was thinking, how do I help people that maybe have never have never thought about the 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 process of selling before? Give them some structure and and some some intuitive ways of working so they can help them. I can help them to be successful. And um, just after I'd started up my first business, um, the Challenger sale came out and uh, I bought it and read it cover to cover and got to the end and thought, phew, that's that's an absolute relief because um, selling at a high level is very similar. It's question-based. It's consultative in nature. It's all about value. It's about putting your feet in the shoes of the customer um, and ultimately building the story. And, and I love I love the way you taught that through, Peter. It's yeah. uh uh, a really a really good example it sort of ties together this this whole conversation when i think at the beginning i wrote down a note you said it's a journey it takes time well you've just you've just yeah. demonstrated your seven stages there which you will you know guide your guide your uh, your potential customers through until they become customers with you and i think a, a wonderful reminder of the the role of emotion in selling and probably the power of stories as as part of a of a sales approach to really to really bring it alive so peter thank you just very conscious of time so really appreciate you um sharing your your wisdom and thoughts with you thank you so much they've really 10 out of 10 for the challenger sale masterclass so that's mm-hmm. got to be worth list for people listening into the podcast alone for that very uh, very beautifully articulated so thank you very very much for your time it's been a pleasure having you on the insiders and uh, we uh, look forward to keeping in touch thank you thanks peter for sure the insiders by durham lane subscribe today to never miss an episode.